People of the world, welcome to Marketing as a Foreign Language, streaming to you live 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time every single Monday through Friday. The background noise that you may hear will be the first day of uh, virtual school for my kids. It is exactly what you hoped it would be. Uh, a smooth transition to be sure today on the show seo horror stories here's what not to do three case studies of seo gone wrong facebook outlines new machine learning process to improve the accuracy of community standards enforcement facebook plans for post-election concerns in the u.s explores new option for combating viral misinformation twitter adds more detail on direct messages from users you don't follow Foursquare becomes the first company to receive MRC location data accreditation. This is a marketing as a foreign language, and it begins right this very second. As always, I would love to hear your comments. If we get enough comments, I will go ahead and open up this little uh, comment window right over here, uh, right above my head. Oh, that's not it. Is it this one? And uh, we'll be able to see what people are saying and have conversations slash answer questions, et cetera. So please do leave a comment. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy. SEO horror stories. Here's what not to do. These three real life case studies are anonymized to share textbook examples of how not to approach search engine optimization. This coming to us from Search Engine Land, site number one, premium retail website. An online store for jewelry has developed over a few years from a sideshow to main sales channel. Outperforming the brick and mortar showrooms, it was supposedly uh, going to merely support. A few thousand product landing pages in total did reasonably well without much oversight up until the moment. The business decision was made to move from the somewhat lengthy domain name to a much shorter, more memorable one. Ooh, you can see where this is going already. A common enough situation in the online world, yet basic mistakes were made from the beginning. No technical audit was performed and no legacy issues addressed prior to the move. Yikes. So before we get into the details, basically, whenever you do a name change, uh, you gotta make sure your redirects are in order. That is to say, a 301 redirect from a former page, which is a page that used to exist on your website to a current page is of the utmost importance. And when you have tens of thousands of pages, you can see how this might get a bit complicated. With a 301 redirect to the root rule for any outdated, sold out or discontinued content applied broadly in the process. So what they're saying there is basically all this content that they had uh, that was somewhat outdated or sold out. Um, all of it went to the homepage. A migration mishandled like this alone was likely to cause new and magnify legacy problems. When content migration is done, Google has to recrawl new URLs along with all of their accompanying signals, such as backlinks and canonicals, in order to rank what effectively becomes brand new landing pages accordingly. Under any circumstances, a migration is best prepared months in advance, carefully planned and executed during a sales low season. In the case of premium retail website, all of the points were disregarded, causing as expected an instant drop in Google the end of Q3. 
from which the site may have recovered over time. However, the migration was rolled back several weeks later due to an unexpected legal issue that arose with the new domain. In desperation, an aftermarket domain C was swiftly acquired. Ooh, and the migration once more performed now to domain C. This unfortunate uh, course of events was further compounded by the fact that domain C past and backlink profile were not checked. Ooh, so they basically bought a domain that had garbage links pointing to it, an existing manual penalty. Ooh, there was a manual penalty penalty from Google on the uh, website that they purchased. So you can see C right there. So B, they're doing just fine. Website C, and you're going down. The death blow for the site rankings was dealt thereafter when amid the turmoil, website operations were reconstructed to mirror more closely country sales teams. Don't know what that means. In short succession, this website's versions were upgraded with a multitude of homegrown and customized third-party, let's just call it technology, and uh, they lost their rankings. So this obviously can result in uh, the loss of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in revenue when you just don't do this right, when you don't migrate the site. And for some reason, many clients are obsessed with what the homepage looks like and maybe a few internal pages. That tends to be their barometer for whether or not they like the website. So they go and they go, oh, it's so slick. Look, things pop out and oh, it's so pretty and it's so sleek and I love it. And then they lose their business. So ignorance of SEO is not an excuse in 2020, um, especially if you're an e-com, you have to understand that this is vitally important. So, I mean, if a dentist purchases a machine, let's say, and it hurts his patients, you know, it's on the company that produced the machine, no question about it, but it's also on the dentist for not uh, doing due diligence to understand that that might, machine might hurt you. So it's a bit of a stretch as an analogy, but I guess the point I'm trying to make is that if you're a business owner and you go, well, I just don't know, I don't know about SEO stuff. Okay, that's fine. Um, but if this happens to your e-commerce because you didn't research something, which is not that technically difficult to understand how to redirect a website or how not to purchase a domain, dude, it would have taken someone three minutes to look at the website and realize that they had a bunch of spammy backlinks and not purchase that domain. That is not a hard thing to do. It's just ignorance is preventing them from making good decisions. Let's take a look at site number two, Journey Compare Heaven. Ooh was at the time of events a leading travel aggregator in Central Europe operating successfully in a competitive market. The website operators realized the tremendous growth opportunities for the business. If a larger market share could be carved out on the basis of that premise, thought was given to increasing search engine result page visibility by growing the volume of landing pages. Okay, so they're trying to develop a bunch of landing pages. Expansion plans to neighboring countries and markets were expedited. Okay. So a modest 500,000 desirable landing pages were swiftly auto-translated into another five languages. Whoa. This step alone was sure to cause serious problems because the content wasn't localized, which had to impact user satisfaction and by rankings down the line. Content quality considerations aside, the truly calamitous decision to open landing page option filtering for indexing was made. So what does that mean? Open landing page option filtering. Don't know what that means. Once that happened, the combined approximately 3 million landing pages exploded in the search engine result page uh, with non-existent 
content quality oversight, indexable filtering, and no canonicals. The total number of landing pages ever detected cannot be exactly gauged. So basically, they created a bunch of landing pages that uh, were not – when you auto-translate, they're going to be garbage. And if you drop a ton of garbage uh, web pages on um, to Google, first of all, they're going to have a heck of a time trying to crawl all those pages. If people aren't visiting the pages, they're not likely to stay on the website. So, you know, don't auto-translate. Um, a ton of pages on your website would be one of the ways to look at this. And I'm going to move on. Facebook outlines new machine learning process to improve the accuracy of community standards enforcement. This from Social Media Today. Facebook is always working to improve its detection and enforcement efforts in order to remove content that breaks its rules and keep users safe from abuse, misinformation, scams, etc. And its systems have significantly improved in this respect, as explained by Facebook. Quote, online services have made great strides in leveraging machine-learned models to fight abuse at scale. For example, 99.5% of takedowns on, face, face, on fake Facebook accounts are proactively detected before users report them. Okay, so Facebook has a strong ability to just knock out uh, fake content um, using machine learning models, but there are still significant limitations in its processes, mostly due to this finite capacity for human reviewers to assess and pass judgment on such instances. So machine learning tools can identify a growing number of issues, uh, but human input is still required to confirm whether many of those identified cases are correct because computer systems often miss the complex nuance of language and sarcasm. But now Facebook has a new system to assist uh, from Facebook, Clara, which stands for Confidence of Labels and Raters, is a system built and deployed at Facebook to estimate the uncertainty in human-generated decisions. What's that mean? Deployed at Facebook to estimate the uncertainty in human-generated decisions. Clara is used at Facebook to obtain more accurate decisions overall while reducing operational resource use. Ugh. This sounds like a human resource manager explaining why you're fired. <laughs> it sounds like something like, well, Clara is used. So what we're going to do is we're going to use it at Facebook to obtain more accurate decisions overall while reducing operational resource use. So you're fired. The system essentially augments human decision making by adding a machine learning layer on top of that, which assesses each individual raider's capacity to make the right call on content based on their past accuracy. Ugh. Okay, maybe I understand this, maybe I don't, but it seems like it's a layer on top of someone, some literal person making a decision on whether or not something should be banned or not allowed on Facebook. The Clara element is in the quote, real-time prediction service sector of this flow chart which assesses the result of each incident and cross-checks the human ruling against what the machine model would have predicted while also referencing both against each reviewer's past results for each type of report. Jeez. That system, which has now been deployed at Facebook, has resulted in a significant improvement in efficiency, ensuring more accurate results in enforcement. Quote, compared to a random sampling baseline, Clara provides a better trade-off curve, enabling an efficient usage of labeling resources. Jeez. In a production deployment, we found that Clara can save up to 20% of total reviews compared 
to a majority vote. Okay, I'm not going to lie to you. This is a little bit difficult to understand, but uh, it's my understanding that there is machine learning that they're using in addition to human decision-making to determine whether or not they can take down fake Facebook accounts or other spam. So this is important right now, sure. Facebook has been forced to reduce its human moderation capacity due to COVID-19 lockdowns. Oh, there you go in different regions by improving its system for accurately detecting violations through automated means facebook is then able to concentrate its resources on the key areas of concern maximizing the manpower that it has available so it's funny to me that we keep talking about uh oh tech sector jobs it's fine there will just be tech sector jobs and here you've got the tech sector outsourcing its tech sector jobs to machines right so whenever you hear efficiency with a major corporation you're typically talking about the reduction of, of jobs. And I'm not saying that's inherently a bad thing. Obviously, a business is intended to be profitable and efficient. It's just funny to me that, uh, you know, we're often hearing that, ah, you know, folks in XYZ sector, you know, should learn to code, right? They learn to code, they come over here, they start working and all of a sudden, you know, they get hit by the efficiency. Uh, I don't know what metaphor you want there robot of course there are still issues with facebook systems just this week reports emerged that facebook is looking to a new way to use share velocity signals what is a share velocity signal in order to better guide human moderation efforts epi you know you're gonna be able to get a degree in like fake accounts earlier this week you know what i can't do it i'm not going down the rabbit hole of share velocity signals i'm not doing it so basically, Facebook doesn't want to be standing in front of Congress anymore, uh, testifying that they aren't able to shut down, you know, Russian bots. They're going to do everything they can to fight against it. And it goes deep, 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 deep. So share velocity signals. If you want to research that and email me, go right ahead. Facebook plans for post-election concerns. Yeah, there you go. In the U.S., exploring new option for combating viral information. Same old story here. 2020 has been a year like no other, really. Andrew Hutchinson with social media today. A key concern. Joe Biden officially accepted the nomination. We know this. Social media is likely to play a key role. Duh. After the Trump campaign essentially weaponized social platforms. Okay. Getting a little political there. First off, Facebook has this week said that it's looking at a new way to detect viral misinformation before it gains significant traction by prioritizing reviews of viral content earlier. Okay, so they're trying to catch it early, assuming it's misinformation. Quote, Facebook already shares information about the virality of news articles on the platform with its fact-checking partners who use that data to help determine which articles to check first. I mean, you want to talk about algorithm bias. This, there's a major issue here. So what articles get checked first? You know what I mean? So it's it's not trying to find equity and fairness in this is so hard. Um, so let's say that a fake viral post that leans to the left and leans to the right is created at the same time. Uh, what, which one does the algorithm pick up first? Um, so a new report asks whether the company itself might want to set thresholds at which its own team evaluate the content for community standards. If a video on Facebook gets 5 million views in an hour, 
shouldn't someone at Facebook take a look at it? Um, this is uh, as reported by Casey Newton in the interface. Essentially, the proposal, which Newton says Facebook is investigating, would see Facebook share using, there it is, share velocity. Oh, fine. Fine. I will look it up. Share, well, you know, I know what it means. Share velocity, but I want to read it anyway. It's not even a word on Google. <laughs> Tell me that's not funny. Share velocity is not even a thing on Google yet, of course. Buzzword. All right. Fine. Share velocity. <sighs> okay. Facebook using share velocity as a key indicator in determining which posts should be reviewed for potential rule violations, which could stop viral misinformation from gaining mass traction. As ex an example of the problem, a recent video posted by Breitbart, which included a range of health professionals criticizing health advice around COVID-19, was viewed by millions of users on Facebook before the platform took it down. Facebook has been working hard to tackle COVID-19 misinformation, so it was somewhat surprising that the video was able to gain such traction before Facebook moved to address it. Is it? I mean, how many hours of Facebook content? I mean, I'm streaming live on Facebook right now, so I could say something that's just reprehensible and obviously stupid and unfactual. How long would it take? How long would it take Facebook to find that and get rid of it? That is a, that is a heavy lift. This new proposal would theoretically help and that it would mean that Facebook, by using share momentum as an indicator, would have reviewed and assessed the content faster, stopping its viral spread, which sounds good. But then again, why doesn't Facebook already do this? Seriously, why don't they already do this? Because it's incredibly hard to monitor this much content. That's why. According to Andrew, it seems crazy that Facebook, with all of its data and algorithms, all of the technical tools at its disposal, has never once thought to be like, hey, maybe we should ensure we're reviewing highly shared stuff before anything else. I don't know. I wonder. I wonder what they have in place. I don't think it's that simple. I really don't. All right, but Andrew's got uh, Andrew's got opinions over here. Wow, he's got lots of opinions. Look at that. All right, we're going to move right on. Twitter adds more detail on direct messages from users you don't follow. This is helpful. Twitter has announced a couple of new detail additions to direct messages from users that you don't follow, which will make it easier to see who the user is and if how you're connected. This again from social media today. As explained by Twitter, now when you receive a direct message request, we're giving you more context up front about who sent it, like how you're connected to the person on Twitter. And once you tap into the request, you'll see their profile info along with their message. All right, so this to me is like essentially a way to uh, know who is sending you creepy and somewhat terrifying information, which uh, Twitter is somewhat known for at this point. So as you can see here, the new DM requests display will also show you which other profiles the user follows that you are also connected to. And when you tap into the message, you'll now get an abbreviated profile summary at the top of the screen, which will save you having to tap through to get more insight into who the person is. So that clearly is a common process for people who are open to receiving DMs from anybody, which is why Twitter is looking to incorporate it and having the info readily available will help not only in terms of seeing their bio, but their follower following data and the date they joined could also be relevant in helping you understand who the person is and why they're trying to get in touch with you. 
Interestingly, Facebook has also been experimenting with a similar listing, though on comments instead, highlighting people who large, excuse me, people with large followings when they engage. Oh, wow. So if you're popular on Facebook and you engage, then uh, they're trying to give you some love there. And then, yeah, I mean, how many creepy, weird DMs are people sending on Twitter every day? 72 million? The extra contextual detail in this sense is more about maximizing engagement, and it's interesting to consider the potential value that having more information like this readily available on each message or post could bring. In regards to the Facebook bit, I mean, if there's any question left in anyone's mind about whether or not popularity makes you rich in 2020, well, there you have it. You know, I mean, we are just, we are such a popularity contest right now, not only from, you know, the foundations of democracy which is you know we clearly see it's just a popularity contest um to our social media platforms which again popularity contest so the direct connection between how popular you are and how much money you have in the bank is becoming um i don't know what the word is to describe it it's obvious and it's uh, bordering i think on obscene at times Foursquare becomes first company to receive MRC location data accreditation. What is MRC? I don't know, but we're about to find out. New certification will soon become a must-have third-party approval. This is from Greg Sterling, searchengineland.com, writes, As third-party cookies disappear, one of the candidates to replace them is mobile location data. It can be used to understand real-world customer behavior purchase intent, brand affinity, and as a versatile targeting tool for online and mobile campaigns. But the quality and accuracy of location data has been a contentious is issue in the industry for years. Uh, thank you to everyone, obviously, who has hit the like button. Much appreciated. Um, if you do hit that like button, it does fill my heart with a warm and fuzzy feeling. Most vendors and marketers using location data get it from one or more of several sources. First-party mobile app publisher data. Oh, my God. This is, this is intolerably boring. Location data quality issues. Dozens of studies on location data accuracy have been published by location intelligence companies over the past, past five years. Almost without exception, they argue something very similar, making the case that most location data out there is of mediocre or dubious quality. Really? I feel like geotargeting is awesome. And... Uh, I was up in Mount Charleston, and it still knew where I was, even though I was in the mountain. So I wonder what they mean by uh, location data being of me mediocre or dubious quality. What do you mean by that? Report, only 1% of exchange location data useful for offline attribution. What does that mean? Study also found that average accuracy of exchange-derived locations is over four New York City blocks. Location data has become a kind of Swiss army knife for digital marketing. It can be used for audience targeting and segmentation, for offline attribution, and for customer journey and competitive insights. But the data needs to be accurate, especially when it comes to store visitation and attribution. For those brands and agencies working with location data and various location data providers, accuracy is emerging as an issue, not unlike viewability. Okay. Ultimately, there will be a need to be similar that's got to be a, a typo. So apparently, I need to understand what exchange-derived location data. Ex 
exchange derived location data. Let's let's dive into that, shall we? Exchange derived location data is a buzzword. So here you go. Literally the uh, article that we're reading. So I don't know if that's a commonly used phrase, which is probably why I've never heard it. So the often technical report asserts that the average accuracy of exchange derived locations is over four New York City blocks. It also finds that only 1% of locations from bid requests are useful for in-store measurement based on a location accuracy of 50 meters. So yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll summarize like this. If you are a little tiny store in Manhattan and you're trying to serve an ad when someone comes into that store, then yes, four New York City blocks is not gonna work for you. Um, but if you're trying to target like a zip code, no problem, no big deal. Um, if you're trying to target like a mile radius around a uh, hospital, okay, cool. So I guess the takeaway here is that, yeah, if you wanna target the size of, you know, 600 square foot by 600 square foot, it's gonna be tricky. And you know, that's fairly obvious, I think, at this point. So what do we do? We summarize. SEO horror stories, um, the first one, the point was don't buy a domain that has total garbage links and make sure your 301 redirects are appropriate. Uh, the second was don't uh, translate uh, landing pages into other uh, languages incorrectly. Actually get a translator, do it the right way. Facebook, new machine learning process. Yeah, okay. So Zuckerberg doesn't wanna be testifying in front of Congress too often. They wanna make sure they're taking down misinformation. They're inserting a layer of machine learning on top of human interactions to ensure that they're getting to these things quicker. Do they actually have a way to, you know, tackle this in a fair and equitable way? Who knows? Facebook also concerns for uh, combating viral misinformation. Uh, yeah, we talked about this. Those overtly political. Twitter adds more detail on DM. So some creeper DMs you on Twitter. Now you have got more information about that person. Um, and turns out targeting an incredibly small uh, areas is uh, challenging, not easy to do, even in 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, so much Monday, so much work, summer's ending. Uh, as I mentioned before, it's my kids' first day of school, so I'm gonna go pop out there and go make sure that everything is going smoothly for them. Uh, best of luck with the ongoing pandemic, best of luck with uh, your schooling if you have kids and if they are virtually learning right now. I wish you the best. All right, if you haven't liked, please do. If you haven't left a comment, please do. Uh, if you haven't subscribed on YouTube, please do. If you're watching the show after the fact uh, from an ad on Facebook, please swing by the YouTube channel, hit the subscribe button so you know when we are live so I can hear from you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the show and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Bye-bye.